Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. Welcome to The Stoop Sessions. Welcome I'm, back. Um, Stephanie Greer. I don't uh, know why I said um, because I know who You I always am. forget your name. My name is Joel Kurz, <laughs> and unfortunately, Eric is not with us today. Again, patience. Yeah, Eric is uh, working his job. Providing for his family Being and a uh, therapist, helping people's joints move, move well, not just move, but well. So in we 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 have somebody sort of sitting in the place of Eric today, um, and this is I'll let you introduce her. Well, thanks. This is important to me. This is why Joel's like, let me do the introduction. So we've got Dr. Diane Lamberg on the podcast today, and I mean, you could read her bio, but let's just give her an un, like unabridged. Does that mean longer or shorter? What does unabridged mean? Uh, longer. Oh, we're going to give you an abridged um, bio. Yeah, that works. Um, so probably over 50 years of um, counseling experience and you've worked with uh, from vets to refugees um, to uh, uh, war crime survivors um, to those who have suffered um, abuse from the church. So it's a wider array of individuals and lives. And so uh, particularly around the topic of trauma. Welcome to the stoop. Now, where where are you before you start? Where are, do you have stoops nearby? <laughs> where, where are you? Do you? Yeah. Do you know what we what we mean by stoop? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so most ministry in life happens on the stoop in Baltimore if the weather's good. Oh, of course A- it AKA does. AKA our yes. steps. Okay. Of course it does. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm north of Philadelphia in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. My office is here, and we have about 16 or 17 therapists in it. It is such a pleasure to have you on the stoop. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be sitting here. In our in our work, as you can imagine, we have a lot of members and people that we're reaching out to who have a lot of trauma in their life. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll read stories of uh, a trauma survivor, and uh, and I I think about our own context. Mm-hmm. And I think, man, you know, the sad reality is, is is that their story is not all that unique. What's unique is that they're doing well and they're well enough to share their story. Does that make sense? Uh, whereas sometimes I feel like everybody we are ministering to faces incredible amounts of trauma in their life. And so again, yeah. so good to have you and we mm-hmm. just want to learn from you. Could you define trauma for us? What what you would mean by trauma? What trauma is in somebody's life? Well, the root of the word trauma is literally wound. So it's somebody who has experienced something wounding. And it is, it, it is different than other kinds of wounds in the, in the sense that it attacks the self. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you break your leg, you have a, a, a wound. And it changes your life for a while and all those things. But it doesn't change your sense of self, your I am, for lack of a better phrase. Mm. 
web, but trauma does. Mm. And so if you think of when I first started working, I worked with Vietnam vets a lot. And uh, if you work with somebody who's been in a situation where there have been horrible atrocities going on uh, in war, and uh, they come back and they are traumatized, and it, it's not the wound that heals and then you get better. And it, it interferes not only with their sense of self, but their ability to sleep, uh, their ability to focus on things in terms of work and all of that. Um, they think they are a different person than they were before, and it's always a negative. Mm. Um, you, you don't see yourself as stronger for living through it. You see yourself as weak and vulnerable and uh, damaged goods. That mm. becomes an identity. Mm. And so the self is defined by what happened to it rather than defined by who they were created to be. Mm. It makes nightmares. Uh, it makes relationships difficult. Um, people's emotions are often out of control. Sometimes they can't stop crying. Sometimes they can't stop being full of rage. Sometimes they can't feel anything. So it just alters the whole self. In fact, every arena of their life. Why would somebody who's been through some kind of abuse or trauma uh, whatever that trauma might be, why would they not see themselves as stronger? Why do, why do they view themselves as damaged lesser than? Yeah, or not see themselves as a survivor even. Well, most trauma involve, also involves an abuse of power. So let's take something like sexual abuse. Uh, and let's just put a frame around it. One in four women and one in six men are sexually abused in this country before the age of 18. Wow. And so people who have experienced sexual abuse see themselves as damaged goods. But the damage really isn't theirs. It belongs to the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. They, they see themselves, they have a lot of shame because they see it as happening. For some reason, it was their fault, which it was not. But all of those uh, perspectives are carried with them for years. And so this happened to me because I was flawed, because I wasn't strong, because I didn't fight it, because whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it happening to a child on a repeated basis, childhood is all about discovering who I am. And what's woven into that is continual abuse, disregard, somebody being trashed who should be valued and precious. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes part of who I am. It is not just something that I lived through or something that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And they begin to see themselves as this is happening to me because there's something wrong with me, mm. which is a lie. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it is strongly believed and felt. And when you when you talk trauma, sometimes that probably can be one specific incident, right? But then there's also complex trauma, right? And so, could you define, yeah, what complex trauma is? If you if you just think of one instance being able to do all of that, what would complex be? Yes, one instance, you know, would be like people get traumatized from a car accident or something. You know, and, and that can alter their lives and their sleep, they have nightmares and all kinds of things. Complex trauma means trauma coming in at many different levels. It's 
usually prolonged and it's often over a long period of time. So again, if we go back to a child who's being sexually abused, or let's say a child who grows up in a home where there's a lot of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So when they're two and three and four, they're developing in certain areas. They're learning who they are, all of those kinds of things. But they have this other piece going on all the time. You know, if you weren't such a stupid kid, I wouldn't have to be Mm -hmm. your mother. It's woven into the developmental thing. And so then now they're in school and they have already started out thinking about themselves in that way. And now it affects the way they can't concentrate or are afraid or they want to be the big person who hurts other people because it's either that or be the little person who gets hurt. Mm. So it it comes in, it's like uh, a lot of little streams coming in to make a complicated, tied up together in a knot trauma as opposed to I was doing well in life, I felt good about myself, all of those things. I was in this terrible accident. It took eight months for me to heal and all those kinds of things. But the I am before the accident is still held on to. You have before and you have after. When you're continually abused like that, sexual abuse, domestic abuse, uh, living in in terrible uh, situations in some countries and things like that, it it shapes every developmental stage and Mm -hmm. every part of personality. Mm. Wow. Yeah. In 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 America, in our in our city in Baltimore, uh, West Baltimore, um, you know, there's going to be some uh, sexual abuse. Of course, there's going to be some folks that have grown up uh, in homes with drug addiction. What might be some other ways that people who have grown up in the inner city might experience trauma? Well, uh, yes, there's certainly sexual abuse. There's domestic, a lot of domestic violence. Um, there is. Um, Poverty, which often shapes the way I think about myself, because it often has shame with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's gangs, mm-hmm. you know, who can terrify you. And even if you've never been really hit by one physically, they're there and you're watchful and you're fearful. Mm-hmm. Day, day after day, just walking to school. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things that are knit together in situations like that. Um, you have ex-cons who have not, who are, who are home, they've come back, but they haven't really gotten help. And so, you know, are afraid of them. They ended up in jail because of what they did. Mm. Maybe they'll do it again. Right. Yeah. If, if there's a lot of damage in the home and a lot of poverty and things, there's a tremendous amount of shame. You don't want anybody to see Mm-hmm. And it, it again becomes part of your identity. It's not a thing that is in the environment. It's also who I am. Wow! You reference this a lot, and I think suffering in the heart of God, where you talk about—I mean, you talk about the problem of evil, but then you also talk about identity being found in the person and work of, of Jesus Christ. So, I, one follow-up question is. How does the church, how do we come along someone who is always kind of in a crisis mode, either realized or maybe um, something that's haunting them from the past? Well, first of all, one of the best things you can do for them is just treat them like a human being created in the image of God. Amen. Give them a sense of dignity. Give yeah, them a, a, a tension that says, I see you 
and I I want to connect with you. I value you just in the little ways that we do that as humans. Another thing I think that's very important in churches, certainly not just in the inner city because of the prevalence of trauma, uh, is that such wounds need to be talked about, mm. whether it's in Sunday school or Bible studies or from the pulpit or something, just to name sometimes things like sexual abuse or rape or domestic abuse in, in a sermon mm. means people know that you know it's real, mm. which, which is a, a sign of hope. Yeah. For them, it gives them hope not only that somebody might understand, but they might even actually be able to talk to them. Wow, that's good. A woman comes forward and talks about abuse in the home, and somebody says, Well, I know your husband, and he's a really nice guy. That can't be true. What are you doing wrong? Mm. When you hear those things named by the people in power in the church, um, you can do that in Sunday school with children. Children, you know, sometimes people grow up in homes where it's not very safe, and that's very scary. Just to say something like that. Mm. You've opened a door that says, if I need to, I can talk to that person. That's good. Very so helpful. Simple ways, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how does that, how does naming it bring hope to them? But I think you, you answered it uh, in, in what you were saying there. Just, it just, just uh, the recognition that somebody else understands that what you went through was traumatic and was not right. And that it exists. Mm. You know, oftentimes church responses, first of all, they're silent about these things. So nobody knows they even can talk about mm. them. And second of all, um, the people carry the shame of those things and often blame themselves or are sure somebody else will. Okay. So when they are named, you, you poke at both of those beliefs. Yeah. Actually, people do know this exists, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, they actually know that this can happen and not be a person's fault. Yeah, that's good. And so maybe they can help me. How do you think through, let's say, um, a lot of individuals that we get the privilege of, of knowing um, have a lot, one way that they escape from their trauma would be drug use, right? So how do you stabilize, how do you not add to more destructive behavior when someone's pro- mostly always high um, and so you're not really able to address the trauma or, or talk about those things because they're not really ever in a state of mm. clarity or sobriety. MCI. Meaning it's, it's hard to even have a conversation with them about their trauma. To acknowledge that. Because they're just disorder. constantly going to even something as socially acceptable as marijuana uh, or other harder drugs to numb their pain. Yeah. Well, and if you bring up the subject of abuse or whatever with them, they're going to feel terrible. They'll go do it again. Right. <laughs> because that's, right. It, you know, that's their mandate. Right. Yeah. You know our challenge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you, what you can do, though, with somebody like that is say to them, I know why you're doing what you're doing. And I don't mean that you know the specific incident. Right. But people do this to cover fear and suffering. So I know you've got some of those things going on. And I would like to walk with you in two ways. Number one, to get you help for the Band-Aid that isn't working. And you, you keep applying the Band-Aid of drugs, only you don't feel any better. Mm. As soon as it wears off, you feel awful again. Mm. But there is another path. And so I want to walk on that other path with you. So you have to deal with the addiction before you can deal with the trauma. And part of that means finding other coping mechanisms before you even start talking about the story. 
you know, so whether it's like some kind of physical thing they learn how to do or whatever, there has to be something to replace the thing they use to medicate. Yeah. What, uh, what are some of those things? Working out, art, like what are some things that you've noticed that are other alternatives to using drugs? Well, th- th- those are excellent alternatives. Uh, yes, there are physical things. Um, a, a lot of people find the yoga helpful because it, it brings, you're, you're looking for ways, which is why they use the drugs, to bring these terrible feelings down mm. of fear and shame and all of that that, that are intolerable, truly. Mm-hmm. So you get high. So you can't just take the get high part away and leave them with that. Right. right. It won't work. It's just that's the revolving door thing that we see so often. And so there have to be other things. Uh, so some of them are physical. Um, art is a wonderful way. Uh, music. You know, if you, if you are talking to somebody who's actually musical, you know, can you write a song about how you feel? You know, you find ways that uh, support them, give them avenues for dealing with things, but they don't hurt them. Mm. The things they're choosing hurt them. So they're using a hurting thing to deal with the hurt. Mm. It doesn't work very well. What are, what are some things or programs that a local church could do to address trauma? So when we're working with somebody, and maybe even you know a large percentage percentage of a certain congregation could have people who are dealing with shame and all kinds of issues that come out of trauma, and you're meeting with them and you're thinking like, well, I can't get one-on-one counseling for every single individual. I don't have enough benevolence money in our church bank account. I don't have the resources. I don't even know if there's a trauma counselor I can trust mm-hmm. in my city. So what what could we do? I mean, of course, walking with somebody and befriending them, but are, are there programs or are there things that churches could do that could help people deal with some of their traumas and find healing? Yes, there is a little program called Healing the Wounds of Trauma that was developed by the American Bible Society. Mm-hmm. It has been used all over the world. And they, they have a, a training program for that to help people learn how to to use the material, and then they they teach them how to do it, and it's done in small groups. And the book walks through many of the aspects of trauma, little by little, and helps people think about these things together, mm-hmm. uh, and it gives them hope. Um, it's you know it's been used all over Africa, it's been used in the Middle East, it's been abused in uh, being used in cities here in the United States a lot, and it tends to be very effective. And part of, I think, that part of that effectiveness is that it, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm, I'm sitting with six other women. And and they have they get it because they've lived it too. Yeah. Mm. So you end up doing something that teaches people to be sensitive to trauma and help, helps them lead the group. They have to go through their training. Then you're working with victims themselves who could go through the material four and five times before they really get a hold of all Mm -hmm. of it, which is fine. But then you also have people who have done that, who are part of a small community that can continue to support each other after the group stuff is over. And they can also be part of then using the training for others as time goes by. Mm -hmm. 
so they, they become people who help other people heal. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think uh, I've looked at some of that material and the interesting part is it doesn't fix, you know, I think everyone's always looking for, I want to be fixed or I don't want to ever be reminded of this instance. And I, I think what you're saying is, no, it's really how to cope with what did happen and, and what has happened. And so um, the benefit, right, to some of those groups is saying it's not that uh, it fixes you, but rather it allows us to look at darkness, but to look at light as well. So let's say someone's gone through um, extreme sexual trauma, sexual abuse, and they're doing certain things to cope um, with that trauma. Uh, but they feel like they always get to a fork in the road where they're like, I just wish um, this was not my lot in life. I just wish I wouldn't have to keep dealing with these emotions or I, um, I just wish I wouldn't have to, um, just want it to be over. Yeah. I want it to be over. And so sometimes wanting it to be over means I'm not here or I just, w yeah, I wish these things were alleviated. Well, they probably can be alleviated to a certain extent. They can also be transformed in terms of your own suffering and understanding of that suffering becomes a tool of healing for other people who are isolated and think nobody ever felt the way they did. Mm. But unfortunately, but truly, um, everything's not going to be fixed here. Hmm. We live on a ruined planet yeah. full of ruined people. Yeah. And on some scale, everybody has things in their life they wish weren't true. Only they are. Mm. And so the question is how to carry that in a way that strengthens me and blesses others. If I can't get rid of it, how can I use it in those ways? Because part of what you end up seeing, or a lot of victims do over time, is, gosh, I lived through that horror growing up for 15 years. And look at what I can do now, because I faced it and I've worked through it a bit. And so there's strength in remembering it and seeing your own growth in spite of it. Wow. Yeah, remembering it and seeing your own growth. That's I, good. One of, the, one of the things that I've struggled with sometimes as a pastor is I want to fix people as well, you know? So that person might want to be fixed themselves, and they say, I just want it to be done. And I'm mm. like, yeah, me too. I want to help fix you, and I want that to be no longer yeah. an issue in your life. And I think sometimes as a pastor, it can be frustrating when you see the same animal kind of reoccurring, the same depression coming up, the same anxieties or shame coming back up uh, over, over years and years. Um, but, but how would we as ministers, as pastors, as church members, how would we suffer long with somebody? How, what, what are some tips that you might give for us to walk with somebody in, in such a way that says, hey, I'm, I can't fix you. That's not my goal. Um, but I'm, but I'm going to walk with you. What does that look like for the average Christian working a full-time job who's trying to love their neighbor or for the pastor who's discipling his members? Mm -hmm. Well, in some ways, it would be uh, something that a spouse would have to learn if their spouse develops a chronic illness. They're not going to get better. Now what do I do? Mm. We have to learn how to be with we don't often think or talk about that, be with, but that is the essence of the incarnation. Hmm. Well, can you talk so more? If, yeah. Some, yeah, if somebody is suffering in those ways and you come alongside and you learn how to be with, it, it isn't about 
fixing, though you want to see their pain recede. It isn't about finding that finish line where everything will be all better as if it never happened, because in fact it did happen. And it's not like the memories are going to go away. They're in their brain. But you enter in and walk with, at their pace, manifesting the Father in the flesh. Mm. I mean, that's what the incarnation is. Mm. You know, Jesus could have come down here and said something and made everybody all better. He didn't do it that way. He entered into mm. our lives and suffering and ate with us and walked with us and gently corrected us and all of those things. And he did that in a way that taught people who the Father was. Yeah. Many, many decades ago, and I just started out in the early 1970s, a pastor, pastor's wife brought a woman to see me who nobody knew what to do with, who wouldn't talk to people, who showed up at church every once in a while, sat in the back, and if you went toward her, she started shaking and couldn't bear it and would flee. But this pastor's wife got a little bit closer to her and asked her if she'd come and see somebody who could help her, given the fact that I was in my 20s. <laughs> And trauma wasn't even a word in the psychology world at that time. That was a grandiose promise. But she came to see me, and she was clearly terrified, and she sat down on a chair, and I started doing what I do, just ask questions. Silence. And it went on for several weeks, and finally I just shut up because I didn't know what else to do. And I sat with her. So she would come and we would sit for an hour. And she shook. She would curl up in the chair in a fetal position and shake. And it took six months for her to open her mouth with me. And I started one day by saying to her, can I ask you some questions and you don't have to say anything, but you can just nod. And so she did. So, you know, I said, are, are you afraid? Yes. Are you afraid of everybody? Yes. Mm. Have you ever known anybody safe? No. And when I got six months, she started talking to me, and I worked with her for a very long time. She never had known safety from the day she was brought home from the hospital until she walked into my office. Wow. And I sat there with her in her silence and her fear for six months, not because I knew to do that at that point, but mm-hmm. because I knew that was all I could do. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else worked. Um, and she was the one who originally taught me about trauma and what it does, how it silences people's voice, mm. how they live in constant fear, always looking, looking, looking for who's going to hurt them next. So, and how that affects relationships. It's just broken relationship after broken or in her case, so isolated, you don't have any because if you know if you do that, bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and so, and, and somebody who's never had a sense of power in their own lives. So they say no, but nobody listens. Yeah. They say stop, nobody listens. It doesn't matter what they say. They have no impact on their own lives. And so they need people to help them find their voice mm-hmm. so they can say what they think to be in a safe relationship with them and to give them the right to choose and honor it. Mm-hmm. Started to learn that from her. Yeah. 
So one of the things we can do is just create safe spaces for people, uh, which could be just a, a new friendship, uh, a place where they can yes. just sit and be real with themselves, be real with us, and not receive some kind of, what, condemnation, uh, shaming, whatever they might expect. Or even instruction. Mm-hmm. Or even instruction. Not, you know, just be with, I know, you don't have yeah. to talk about it, but I know you're very sad. Yeah. And I know you're very afraid. And I'm just going to sit here and we can talk about whatever you want or nothing. But what you'll know when you left here is that you sat with somebody who was safe and who stayed with you. Yeah. So you name it for them. They don't even have a category for it. How does one minister seek to love um, others like that in lieu of their own limitations? You know, how, how do you do that? And then how does that one person, how do, how do we cultivate a community of people pursuing rest, especially when you're looking at stories where others cannot or could not have done that? Well, I'm not sure I know the magic answer to that, yeah. Stephanie, but, yeah. but um, if you, I, I think you have to, particularly in the kind of circumstances that you all work in, you, you have to go in on several roads at the same time. Um, so what would happen if you started preaching sermons on things like fear or shame hmm. or, uh, or abuse for that matter, certainly abuse in the scriptures, mm-hmm. um, just to bring up topics that nobody wants to talk about and, and describe them and teach from them. Mm. What would happen if you trained a group of men and a group of women to learn how to use the healing wounds of trauma thing and the started two small groups just to see what would happen Mm -hmm. because out of those small groups you might get one or two people who want to take the training too and they'll go you'll you will grow it to the point where you have people in the church who are educated about trauma Mm -hmm. who understand what god has to say about it and what he did for us um he certainly experienced trauma Mm -hmm. to say the least and is still scarred and always will be. Mm. So, you know, just a wonderful thing for victims to see. Yeah, still scarred. You know, his scars are beautiful mm. wow. <laughs> to me, you know. And yeah. so, you know, I'm, uh, it's still there with me, yes, and it's still there with him, too. Wow, that's and good. part of that scar that he carries is what happened to you. Yeah, you know, that's right. That is precious. Right, yeah, he true. bore our shame. But it's like concentric circles, just little by little educating and things like that. The other thing you might think about doing is finding um, a space within the church, or if you have any yard or something, just a little space somewhere that has not very much in it, paper and pen, paper and paint, whatever, Mm -hmm. some kind of music that just has a little bit of quiet beauty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So people can... Just go in and sit there for 10 minutes or an hour or whatever and leave. Yeah. Don't have to talk to anybody. Don't have to do anything. But just people who live with constant chaos and, and abuse don't know what beauty feels like. Mm-hmm. What would you say uh, to, this, to this pushback? Um, let, me, let me frame it here for a sec. Trauma... You know, as, as you said, trauma's a, uh, in the psychology books now, you know. So trauma is a psychological word. We don't find trauma in the Bible as a word. Um, we don't find it defined. And, you know, we're, we're talking about trauma because it's popular, because it's, you know, pop psychology, if you would, mm-hmm. or whatever. 
And we're really just giving people a reason to not take responsibility for their sin uh, as opposed to calling them to just, you know, repent Mm -hmm. and turn to Jesus Christ and find forgiveness in him. How would you respond to that sort of question or uh, even you accusation? You want my answer before or after I bang my head against both, the wall? Both, both Well, please, please don't bang your head against the wall, first of all. That would... Clenching fist. You're like, oh. I would like to know how a young woman of 23 can uh, repent of 15 years of sexual abuse at the hands of the men in her family. That There's no repentance required there for that. Um, so... Well, we've lost the understanding of the wound. That's why I use that word. I mean, that's literally what it means. You go back to the, the Latin or whatever, that's the, what trauma means. So it's become a buzzword today. So use the word wound. Mm. And, and the fact that, that that's what the word means, and how do we help people who've been wounded? What would we do if we found out that someone in the church that we love had been in a terrible car wreck. It wasn't their fault at all. They were going to be in bed for six or eight months, and then they're going to have to learn how to walk again or whatever. How would we respond? That's how you respond. Yeah. Mm. And so it, it is a way of distancing ourselves from others' suffering when we start talking like that. Mm. So mm. It's, it, there's nothing I can do about this because this person isn't doing it right. If they would do it right, they'd be fine. None sure. of which is true. Sure. Unfortunately, Jesus does not think like that, or he wouldn't have come here. Our wounds, which we did inflict on ourselves, he came and was wounded with us and for us in order to help us walk away from that stronger, loving him, helping other people, whatever. So that's the model. It's his model. I'm glad you didn't bang your head on the wall. Yeah, we do need you. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) You've got a a great head on your shoulders. As they say. But no, that's, that's so helpful because sometimes I do think that we can, um, uh, in our, I don't know, in our preaching, teaching, discipleship, yeah. we can just kind of oversimplify some things. I mean, certainly the gospel is enough. You know, the gospel is our foundation and that's, uh, you know, the gospel is, is truly the good news for, for everybody uh, to turn and, and find forgiveness and find hope and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, we're called in the Bible to labor with one another. Yeah. And uh, to work together. Yeah, carry um, burdens. Carry one another's burdens. And, uh, you know, uh, I feel like that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Just yes. carrying the burdens of our brothers yes. and sisters. Which, which is like our Lord. Yeah. Who has also called us to love one another. Yeah. The same way we love ourselves. Mm. And a lot of that talk about trauma, that response, is actually self-protection. I don't want to get in the mess. Mm. I don't want to let myself down sure. in all that pain. Uh, you know, you just need to get better and be fine. Yeah. That's a very self-centered response. Yeah. Wow. And the other way is costly. I can certainly say that. Yeah. Um, in terms of working with people, but, but uh, he's there. Yeah. Find him there. Mm. As we're talking about buzzwords in our day and age, um, kind of like cutting off toxic people is a new buzzword. It's definitely one in our, on our block. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I'd want you to address uh, the distinction, right? So, so cutting off toxic people doesn't necessarily mean cutting off someone who um, annoys you, right? Or, or you just don't want to bear with. But can you speak to what relationships should be severed 
because of sin or trauma or abuse. Um, certainly there's, there's got to be mm. some relationships that maybe you should separate. Maybe you shouldn't actually be communing with that person. Um, and I'm thinking of even relationships that some um, individuals who have been abused have towards their abusers. Well, certainly it happens with sexual abuse victims. It happens a lot with domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it, I think, is a misunderstanding of, um, of the abuser. And in order to continue to be abusive, you have to keep deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself over and over again. And you look nothing like Christ, right? Mm. And so there are times when maintaining a relationship with someone fosters their wrong choices. There's no confrontation. There's no consequence. Um, And, you know, love often brings consequences. Mm. You know, if I love, if my child is doing something over and over and over again that I've told that child not to do, I give the child consequences. Not to be mean to them, not, but it's because I love them. Mm-hmm. Because they're habituating something that is harmful to them and to other people. And so I say, no, love's not going to let you do that. And so we, we, Somehow, we, we help them excuse it. You know, when you think about women who go on this sort of revolving door thing with a violent husband, and he cries and says he's sorry, and she goes home or whatever until he does it again. Mm. And that's on and on and on. That's not love. That's not love. You yeah. have proven yourself unable to do this. You have proven yourself untrustworthy. You've proven yourself constantly choosing, repeatedly choosing, against what God calls you to. And I'm not going to help you do that anymore because I love you. Mm. I'm not going to help you. Uh, just think of it in a different arena. You know, if you have a drug addict in the house who's using the money that they get for an allowance, you quit giving them the allowance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You cut them off. Right. Because you love them. Yeah. So that happens in a situation like that and it also happens in relationships. I have a question for um, hope for the perpetrator, hope for the one who has abused. Uh, could you could you speak through that, um, what that looks like? And again, not advising anyone to think that they need to uh, be what only Christ can be for um, someone who is abusing. Um, but there's certainly got to be hope at the foot of the cross. Yes, there, there absolutely is. I mean, the question is not whether the cross is capable or our Lord is capable mm-hmm. of forgiving and changing someone. He's not, ever. Mm-hmm. Amen. Part of the, and it isn't like it hasn't happened, you know, it doesn't happen, that kind of redemptive work. Mm-hmm. But part of what we seem to not understand is how much we repeatedly habituate ourselves mm. with deception. Mm. In order to continue to sexually abuse a little girl, you have to say certain things to yourself. And if they start not working very well, you have to find other things to say to yourself. And then when somebody says, I think you're doing this, we have to deceive them. And then if a church finds out we're doing it, we have to deceive them. The roots of deceit eventually get to the place where you can't get in anymore. I mean, that's the enemy, mm. right? Yeah. 
That's who Satan is. So utterly deceived that he can't turn back anymore. Yeah. So people don't understand very well the habituation of abuse and the deception that goes with it. Mm. And that the prison isn't the action, but mm. the abuse that underlies it. So you have to work with somebody a long time and slowly in terms of that abuse. Um, years ago, I was talking with a lawyer who did cases having to do with perpetrators, and she went to visit one that got put in prison. After several years or whatever, she went to see him and his cell, and he said to her, do not ever let me out. I will do it again. Mm. And the statement was not a threat or a, it wasn't that kind of tone. It was, I've come to see myself clearly enough to know that you'd be a fool to trust me. Wow. That's Which good. Which is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's good. You know, that's... That was a good thing. Right. So certainly, yes, forgiveness for the abuser, um, ultimate hope and healing that he can have with the Lord for all of eternity. And at the same time, uh, not only are there consequences on earth, I mean, that's true as well, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't fix every aspect of who that person may have been and all of their inclinations. And nor does it mine or yours or Stephanie's. I mean, sanctification uh, is very slow and we are not instantaneously glorified. Yeah. Therefore, the moment of salvation doesn't bring us that. Yeah. And uh, so that's so incredibly important for us to remember as Christians and as church leaders, because, you know, certainly uh, we may forgive. Uh, they, the person may be forgiven, uh, but God, yeah, God forbid, yeah. truly, that we provide a safe place for someone to hide. Yeah. That's yes. good. Yes, and they're destroying themselves. I mean, they're obviously destroying the victim. Yeah. They're destroying themselves. They're, they're damaging their own soul. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Two questions for you as we close. One, what would you say the ultimate goal is for the person who has trauma? When you're working with them, when your staff is working with somebody, what is the ultimate goal? Is it to, for them to change uh, addictive patterns? Is it for them to not be depressed anymore? What does success look like? In, in many ways, that's the decision of the victim. You know, what, what they're looking for. Uh, there are things that have been done to people for so long that they're never going to go away. But what they do learn is truth about them and truth about who they are and how to endure them in a way that doesn't do further harm. Mm. You know, again, if you think about it in a more practical thing, such as going back to car accidents, you could be in a car accident and heal and not think about it for 10 years. And you can be in a car accident and partially heal, and every time something hurts, you think about it. You know, it's on a continuum. It's not the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they they define their own goals. Yeah. You know, and work toward those. And, you know, work hard to achieve them and things like that. But it isn't a now I'm there and that's all gone. Not yeah. here. Yeah. Do you, do you have hope uh, in in your work and for our work? Meaning, have you seen people with incredible 
levels of, of complex trauma actually learn to cope or to heal and to live a happy life? Have you seen that in your work? And do you have hope for, for folks that would have trauma in their life? Absolutely. I have seen it in my life. I have rejoiced with them in it. Um, they're not like somebody who never was abused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You still have, you still, it's in your head. You can't make it go away. The question you have to answer is, what am I going to do with it when I, it's my head, you know? How do I think about it and how do I respond to it? But yes, I have seen some things that are amazing in terms of change and transformation and fruit-bearing lives and all kinds of things. Go back to the example that I gave you. I mean, that woman is in heaven. She was my teacher. Mm. And every time mm. I teach about trauma, Part of that is the fruit of her life. Mm, the mm. fact that she had the courage to tell me what made her shake all the time. Wow. And wow. Yeah. tremendous yeah. courage. And so, you know, she, she changed the way I work. Praise God for her life. Praise God for your work. Yeah. You're an inspiration to us and I'm sure to so many, so many people around the globe and so helpful. So thanks for uh, showing us bits of your... Uh, you're laboring long, and we're yeah super grateful. So thanks for giving us this time. Yeah, Stephanie and You're I, welcome. we've always wanted to just have a conversation with you. The fact that we can just record this and yeah, it's big call it us. a podcast episode is even better. Yeah. So this is just wonderful. Yeah, now we'll be able to multiply that <laughs> instead of selfishly just saying we we we've said that around the office. Man, can we just can we just have a conversation? Yeah. With Diane. Yeah. And the Lord's kind because I guess we're having it, and now we get to hopefully. Uh, help uh, equip other people as well. In the, in the world that we live in, there are, there are so many issues of abuse that are coming to the surface, as you know, and your voice has been so incredibly helpful and encouraging along mm-hmm. the way. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard that a, a million times, but just to, so you can hear it one more time, thank you for your work yeah. and for all that you do for, for victims, for survivors, and also for us who are seeking to love and to walk with those. Well, you're welcome, and it's certainly an honor to be here. Well, if you're ever in Baltimore, stop by for a crab cake or two. And, that uh, sounds wonderful, Yeah, actually. we would love to hang out. Seriously. Anytime. Thank you. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. All, All right. right. Good to talk to you. We'll see you later. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, Stephanie, that was uh, helpful, wasn't it? It was. I, was. I have a whole a whole grin, and we just yeah. spoke about such a heavy topic, but I got left with, there's hope there. Yeah. I yeah. hope, uh, for the, for our listeners, I hope this is helpful. Yeah. Um, it's thing, this is stuff that we need to be talking about, thinking about as uh, churches, uh, particularly in our context, mm-hmm. and really in any context. Yeah. Uh, it's It's so real. And uh, so necessary to labor and to love. Yeah, I, I loved, um, I, if we were to wrap it up, I just love the connection she made with about crisis scars and how he carries them. Mm. And I think that that connection is huge for both men and women to mm-hmm. see Christ knows, he's experienced it, and he came specifically um, that we would be able to have hope in him for so many things. So, um, yeah, I, I trust it's encouraging. We should name name these things so yeah. that we might be able to find um hope well and uh speaking of hope uh this is the one hope podcast and if you have any questions or would like to have further conversation on this feel free to uh, email us at info at onehope.gives and uh, we appreciate you listening please like and subscribe to our 
podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sounding like my son. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. That's what my son YouTube. says yeah, for he all has of a his YouTube, YouTube videos. No, like no, no, and let subscribe. Me, let me. Uh, what's the podcast lingo? Please uh, find us wherever podcasts are found. Rate. Oh, rate. Oh, yeah. And leave us a subscribe. Ooh, rate, subscribe, and oh, they can also leave us like a review. Leave us a review. We're so hip. It helps. <laughs> it, it, it it supposedly helps. Hip. Yeah, it helps other individuals who are looking for us find us. And I think people need to hear this conversation. I do too. It's it's long overdue. It's yep. time. So I'm grateful we got to, to be the ones that, to have it. Until next time. On the stoop. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives.